Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toddler Purgators. Todd Purgs. Todd Purgs. Here's your host, Blair Brooks. <laughs> and here's your other host, Molly Lloyd. <laughs> We've never introduced each other before. I don't know what my brain was doing. On this app of TP, Todd Purgs, we are talking about kids who are scared of the dark. And this is something that has for sure come up for me. Somewhat recently, which is funny because in my head, like I remember times in my childhood being scared of the dark or like wanting, needing my parents to come back in. For sure. Not going into a room like the light switch is like too deep into a dark room and you just stand there like, nope, not going to do it. I'm good. The weird, the funny thing is now I link being scared of the dark or like my own fears. As Blair knows, and some of the listeners may remember, your girl Molly when she's celebrating, likes to take herself to horror movies by herself. Get that popcorn with milk does. Solo dolo. <laughs> and see horror movies. And I think now about being afraid of the dark because we have those images from horror movies. But au contraire, mon frere, being afraid of the dark is most common among children 3 to 12 years old. It affects nearly 3 out of 4 kids. And I'm pretty sure those 3 to 12 year olds have not seen Halloween. <laughs> Maybe they have. <laughs> I hope not. That's like- yes. It doesn't always come from an outside source like that. In one of the articles I read on USA Today about people being afraid of the dark, it has worsened during the pandemic. They say fear is triggered by a real or perceived threat. The global pandemic has evoked much uncertainty in different aspects of all of our lives. This is Gifty Ampadu, a psychologist for the Montefiore Health System. And I think that is so true. We have a real or perceived threat surrounding us at all times as we sit in our homes. What we don't see scares us. Yes. Like literally. Yes. And not only does fear of the dark is most common among children three to 12, many adults are also prone to fears of darkness already, not to mention the global pandemic. An estimated 11% of adults were already struggling with this fear before the pandemic and experts say COVID-19 has made matters worse. Well, add it to the list. Just add it. Add it to the list of things. (laughs) Throw it on there. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. And The thing about the dark is that being afraid of monsters is one thing. That's actually one thing that my son has mentioned, that he's afraid of monsters. And we've really tried to combat that by Mm -hmm. talking through it. Mm -hmm. And and we did one thing, which we'll talk about later. Experts say you're not supposed to do. And we did it. We did it. We did it. I turned the lights on to show him that there's no nothing to be afraid of. And apparently that's not something you're supposed to do. We'll talk more about that later. But... (laughs) Because as somebody who is in general not afraid of the dark, I'm not going to go into like an abandoned house at night during a snowstorm or anything. But in general, I'm like, I'm okay. I like really dark when I go to sleep. Blackout shades are my best friend, as is earplugs and an eye mask and a sound machine. Maybe a little melatonin. (laughs) Maybe a little (laughs) toto. But staying away from that, I think we've talked about that, right? Melatonin, you're not supposed to have every night. It's supposed to be... Only when you need it. But by the time I need it, it's too late to take it. Because I got to take it an hour before I need it. Ugh. Ugh. Anywho. 
But as someone who like embraces reality as like, you know what? I remember my parents telling me that if you wake up scared from a dream or scared of the dark, the best thing you can do is sit up and turn your light on because it'll take that shadow away. Essentially, it'll take that idea of what might be out there away. So then you see what's actually out there, which is nothing. But yeah, that's apparently, well, we'll talk more about later. Anyway, when I was a kid, I used to listen to my Walkman in my room in bed before I went to bed because I wasn't allowed to, but I liked to do it. And I would listen to the Thriller album on cassette tape. And I gave myself a deep fear of the dark. Of Michael Jackson. Of Michael Jackson. Just that last part when Vincent Price laughs and it would scare the absolute dooduski out of me and for a long time longer than i care to admit i would be in a dark room and i would hear vincent price and i'd be like gotta go nope <laughs> no thank you uh-uh. i could make it through that whole entire song and be like yes yes it it hit it get it damn it and then as soon as vincent price came on it was like it was over it was Completely. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawling in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, that creaky part at the beginning, mm. like the door creaking open, they have a similar sound at the beginning of Monster Mash. And my son hates both of those sounds. He said, no, I don't yike the beginning. I don't yike it. Skip it, mama. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Because and don't do it to me in a dark room. No. Oh, no. So USA Today article, uh, Why Are People Afraid of the Dark? The number one reason, of course, darkness impairs one's vision. And not being able to see as well. And this is Dr. Jean Barrison, who's a professor of psychiatry at Harvard. Oh, Harvard. She's wicked smart. Wicked smart. Yeah. Dr. Jean says not being able to see as well increases anxiety, uncertainty, and tension. And this can lead to fear of the dark in any age group. Here. Right here. Me. <laughs> yes. Yep, and increases anxiety, uncertainty, and tension, of course, of course. And the decreased visual input we experience in the dark leads to overactivity of the other senses. Yes. Such as sound and touch. Yes. Yes. That makes complete yep. sense. That's exactly right. This can trigger an imaginative response in children leading to anxiety and fear. Yeah, duh. Ugh. It's so true. We have seven senses. Do we have seven senses or five? Five. <laughs> Where did I come up with seven? I don't know, but I want to know what those other two are. <laughs> <laughs> we have five senses. If you take one away, especially visual, which is such a strong sense, then your other ones get heightened. That's why, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, they say that people who have not a strong vision or not a strong, they lose their hearing, they lose their sight, their other thing, their other senses kick in. Yep. Yep. Overactivity of the other senses. And then all of a sudden a breeze blows and it blows a, like a hair on your neck and you're like, ah, forget it. <laughs> bye bye. Forget it. Forget it. Where's the exit? Where's the light? And also, you know, there are people who are predisposed to fears and anxiety, and those may heighten at night. Yeah. Yes. And at this point, we all are. Whether or not it's a biological predisposition or we just have fears and anxieties, as we said, because of this time, they're going to heighten at night. Of course they are. Oh, you're lying there with your eyes open or even closed, and your brain's working, your brain's working, and your brain's working, and you're, oh. You know, for me, it's not so much like a fear of the dark, but like, when I go and stay with my parents, like in the burbs where everything is really dark and super quiet. Oh, yeah. When they shut the, oh, when, yeah, there's no ambient light. I can't, can't. I have a really hard time falling asleep and then waking up in the middle of the night. You know, like 
something about being in the urban area. Like you said, the ambient light, it's always there. And I have to make sure my eyes are open. It's so dark. I'm like, are my eyes open? I can't see. I can't see. It's so dark. I've done that. Reached up and touched your eyelashes to see if they were on your face or off of your face. I've definitely done that. Are my eyeballs in my head? Are they still located inside of my head space? <laughs> yeah. That stuff creeps me out. I'm like, uh-uh. Nope. The other thing, of course, is nightmares. Once you start having nightmares, my son definitely has nightmares. And then when the next night when he wants to go to bed, he said, oh, Mama, I don't want to fall asleep because I don't want to have that scary dream about monsters again. <sighs> I get it. I so get it. And then there's, just to add on to this pile, there's a genuine phobia of the dark. It's called noctophobia or nyctophobia, NYC, or NOC, noctophobia or nyctophobia. Yeah. And according to family GP, Dr. Michaela Sorensen from Sydney, Australia, she talks about noctophobia or nyctophobia. Fears and phobias in children are actually very common. And this is one of the most common phobias. And they say, as a child grows, so too does their imagination. In the initial stages of imaginative development, children can often have difficulty distinguishing between what is real and what is imaginary. Mm. This is what forms the basis of many of these fears. Now, this is, this is so true. Nyctophobia is an extreme fear of night or darkness that can cause intense symptoms of anxiety and depression. A fear becomes a phobia when it's excessive, irrational, and impacts your day-to-day life. I mean, Mm -hmm. and you know, and here's the thing too, like you as a kid, because even I do this to my kids sometimes, especially when they come and wake me up in the middle of the night, I just, there's nothing there. It's okay. You're fine. Mommy and daddy would never allow any monsters or anything to be in the house, right? Right. You can't like rationally, if child has an irrational fear of something, you cannot rationally talk them out of it. They can't hear you. And then I'm thinking about myself, like as a kid and the irrational quote unquote fears that I had. And all I wanted was like someone to assure me, right? It was just like the assurance of like, okay, there aren't any monsters, but like I needed like definite real assurance. Does that make sense? Yeah, you needed someone to take away the entire possibility that it might be actually monsters. Yes, the entire, like I needed like, written down like i needed it like you needed to turn on the news and have the newscaster say it's been confirmed there are no monsters in jersey city new jersey first thing on every channel (laughs) yeah and then be like see honey see the newscaster said and whatever you hear on the news is true so (laughs) oh those are the days those are the days now what about your kids six and three do you see a difference in how they react to nightmares or the kinds that they're having or do they are they pretty good sleepers well right now molly we're going through a phase it's been weeks, actually, because we've talked about this for a while now. My children getting up in the middle of the Primarily night. your three-year-old. Uh, my three-year-old. I think for her, it's legitimate just like she's scared of the dark. She's scared of the loneliness, which I don't get because she's in her room with her brother anyway. But he's asleep, so he's not good company. Yeah, he's not good company. He's not doing what he's supposed to do, which is just keep her safe. But we've done like lights in the room and, you know, talks before bed She's got a now a star chart where I made a chart for every night that she stays in bed. She gets a star. And once she fills up her star chart, then she, sure. she don't care. She's still getting up in the middle of the night. And now here's the thing, Molly. My six-year-old is doing it. And last night, it was twice. And I said, I was actually, listen, parenting failed. But I had a real challenging week last week. Didn't get much sleep. And... 
he came in twice last night and I got up <laughs> with all my might and I was like, what is the deal? Why are you getting out of bed? What is happening? And he said, I'm afraid. And I said, what are you afraid of? What is there to be afraid of? Right. And he couldn't think of it in the moment, which makes me think, and ever since we started the star chart, makes me think someone's getting up in the middle of the night claiming a fear because someone wants a star chart too. Because what's the reward at the end of the week if they, if your youngest stays in bed? If she stays in bed, she gets her new bike helmet and we can ride our bikes to a restaurant of her choice. So now your six-year-old is like, I like helmets. I like choices. Oh, I like the idea. Does that mean we could go to the barbecue spot around the corner? Right. If he has a chart too. That's so funny. My son came down. We had renovations last week, so we had to sleep downstairs in the guest room, which is like not comfortable. It's a sofa couch or a sofa bed. So the first night feels like, ooh, novelty. This is fun. Ooh, it's like camping, but on a sofa bed. The second night, I was like, grandma's back. Cannot take another night. And yet there were two more nights. There were two more nights ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And my son came down at, you know, maybe 5 a.m. or something. We get up at 5.45, so it wasn't that bad. It's devastating, but not that bad. (laughs) But ultimately, we're okay. And he came down. He said, I had a nightmare. (laughs) And that is the voice he used because it was his fake voice for, I'm scared, but I know it's not real. And I go, oh, buddy, okay. I said, what was the nightmare about? Do you want to talk about it? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I just know that I was scared every second. Every second was scary. And I was like, okay. And he's like, not a second was wasted on unscariness. Like, <laughs> it was so dramatic. It was so dramatic. I was like, okay, buddy, come on in. Come on in. Get on in the bed, you know, because we we're going to get up soon anyway. And then he just wanted to like put his cold bare feet on my legs. Oh, that's fun. And laugh that's and laugh fun. and grab my belly and be like, mama's belly. Mama's <laughs> belly. And I'm like, yeah, you grew up in there, kid. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, one thing to think about, just as I mentioned, it's mostly for kids between ages 3 and 12. It does continue into adolescence and adulthood for some. It's just, They say it's only really a small number of kids. And this is often because their parents also have this fear. Oh, interesting. They say professional help is the best way for adults to find the root of their own fear. Then you can help your kids. Yeah. Yes, and it says they establish what is driving the fear. For most people or adults concerned about the dark, it's about the lack of sight and thus the perceived lack of control in this situation. There it is. Here, here. I don't like not knowing what's coming up. I don't like it. I just need to know. And that could really be helped by professional help because listening to two actors with terrible accents is not professional help, although I hope we all have a good time. So go see a professional instead. We'll be right back. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. 
I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, y'all, we're back on Toddler Purgatory talking about when our kids are scared of the dark. What can we do to help them? So, you know, Blair, you hit upon something, which is like, it is hard to be the perfect parent at three o'clock in the morning. Don't ask me. Don't come in. Don't come in and expect me to be at my top parenting game. Exactly. It's hard because we're compromised. We're exhausted. We're probably half awake. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I think these are really good reminders. You know, if you have a kid who wakes up in the middle of the night and has nightmares or, you know, just maybe put this list next to your bed and glance at it before you go to, to sleep to try and remember. But man, it is really hard. For me, it's the countdown. It's like once I'm woken up and I look at the clock then it's the countdown in my head. Great. Two hours and 10 minutes. Exactly. Great. Now I have 30 minutes. And then it's like, and then it's the countdown to when I fall back asleep. And am I going to have to get up to walk my kid back to their bed, tuck them in? If I'm up, I'm up. If I get up, I'm screwed. If I'm up, if I'm up, I'm up. Once I get on my feet and I have to start walking to your room, walk you back, to your room where you got the sleepy slow walk going on. <laughs> yes. You're not trying to hurry. On those little three-year-old legs. On those little those little short stumps. Meat humps. <laughs> just flop in the bed. Hurry. Yes. But yeah, and once you're up, it's so hard. But then sometimes they really need that otherwise. Or they need to get in bed with you. And that's a slippery slope, y'all. That's a slippery slope because that's what the three-year-old likes to do. And that's why she comes in. She doesn't come in and stand on the side of my bed. She comes in and she wiggles her, she and her little meat humps in between me and my husband. Yep. And she doesn't say a thing. She just lays down and just like, I'm like, oh, Does it, no. She doesn't try to put her cold feet in your legs and grab your belly? No, no she just passes out because she's just oh. like, well, there's something to be said for her just passing out, I guess. <laughs> that's something. Get out! <laughs> well, that... A lovely Australian doctor, Dr. Sorensen, says when helping your child with their fear, she says it's important not to either dismiss or play into their fears. No, it's hard. A a dismissal is like, because we want to cut to the chase. It's not real. Go back to bed. Because we have the perspective and the advantage of age (laughs) and time. (laughs) Yeah. And we've, for many of us, we've gotten through it. And if we haven't gotten through it, you know, then we need to deal with it along with our kids. But- Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh gosh, try to maintain your empathy uh, without, you know, also without playing into it. On parenting.com, um, Ask Dr. Sears is a great, probably, you know, Dr. Sears is like a famous pediatrician. And this is an article called Mashing Monster Fears. Here are some tips. They say, turn a problem into an opportunity. This is an opportunity really to connect with your kid. Your kid's convinced that monsters are under his bed, for instance, then you can come in to help calm his nighttime fears. It's a chance to build trust between you and your kid and plant the seeds for later communication. Blair, dude, how many times do we, like, I feel like every episode is like, okay, this thing isn't big, but if your kid is willing to talk to you now, 
with a small thing. For sure, for sure, for sure. Later on, you've established that pattern of trust and listening in your safe space for when they come home and they, you know, have bigger problems when they're teenagers or preteens. So it almost feels like this, you know, the number one thing Dr. Sears is saying, which is what we always say, which is like, okay, this sucks, but think of it as a laying the Mm -hmm. groundwork for your Mm -hmm. relationship Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. And this morning I was like, all right, let's talk. Let's have a real conversation about why you keep coming into bed. Was that like in the wee hours or later when you're both awake and lucid? No, this is is on our way to school. Ah, gotcha. I was like, let's talk about this. Let's like, and he still couldn't come up with a good uh, reason. The six-year-old, he's like, Oh, I don't know. I guess it has something to do about a chart. And you're like, oh, I knew it. Because they're never going to tell the truth. <laughs> I said to him, I said, I was like, do you not stay in bed because your sister doesn't stay in bed? Is that like, why? And he's like, shook his head really like ferociously. And I was like, okay. Okay. All right, cool. Oh, man. I was like, so what is it? He's like, and then she was, you know, like when you have two children especially, you know, three-year-olds, they don't, they just talk. They don't care that much. So she is always talking at this, they always talk at the same exact time. Yeah. And she <laughs> ironically was talking about E.T. on the way to school this morning. Did she say, has she seen that movie? Yeah, yeah, she's seen it. She likes it. She's not get scared. Wow. I know, I'd like to watch it. I'd like to watch it with my son. I didn't think of it. So she's talking about E.T. and how, because I tell her that my favorite part is when he drinks the beer and gets drunk. And so she was ironically talking about that. And so I'm saying, so say to my son, I'm like, so what is it? I was like, what is it you're afraid of? He's like, I'm afraid of uh, E.T. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. I was like, all right, let's talk for real here, kid. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because you can see. But yeah. just bring it back to just like having a conversation. Yeah. Because I did. I felt bad because then on top of like not being able to go back to sleep, then I felt like an idiot a-hole for. Oh, guilt, of course. For treating him like that. And then like thinking, oh, great. He's probably in bed now panting with fear. And he's too afraid to come now back into my room because I've chastised him for. Yeah. It's cyclical. I can't. I can't. It's a hamster wheel. I can't get out Listen, of it. On your little piece of paper next to your bed, then you can write. <laughs> Number two, which is acknowledge the fear, discussing, they say, use positive age-appropriate language, stay calm. Okay, we'll see, 3 a.m. Okay, 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 Dr. Sears. Discuss how it's normal for growing kids to have these fears and how mommy or daddy or Grammy, whoever's taking care of the kid, also had these fears when you were their age. It says, Dr. Sarenson, R&R, says the last thing you want is for your child to feel embarrassed or ashamed by their fears and worries. Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. And they say discuss and empathize with their fears. Encourage them to talk about the imaginary monster. Maybe they could draw a picture of what he thinks a monster looks like. That you're way, This way, you're showing them that you're respecting their feelings and empathizing with them. Yeah. In the ABC article, they say discuss the fear respectfully, including what they are afraid might happen in the dark to understand what is fueling the fear. Totally. That makes complete yeah. sense. I know, I know, I know. Oh, just if it didn't happen at 3.42 a.m. I know, it's hard, it's hard. Yes, I mean, that's the thing is like, part of this, we're discussing how calm, rational parents might handle their children's fears. The other half is how we might handle our inability to be calm or rational, right? It's hard, it's hard. It's breathing, it's reminding yourself maybe right before you go to bed, hey, there's a chance. I'm acknowledging the fact that there's a chance my kid might come in. There's a chance. For sure. 
which we do every night. I, we do it because it's been happening so frequently. We set ourselves up for it. We're like, all right, well, all right, we'll expect like 11.45. She'll come in, you know, maybe round two. Woo! Who's going to get up? Two. Two's tough. I used to stay up until two for fun. And then once you start talking to them about it and giving them a safe space to open up to you about it and showing that you're empathizing and not judging or embarrassing them or anything, then you can start maybe trying to track the trigger. It might Mm, be scary mm -hmm, TV. mm -hmm. They say even the evening news could provoke nightmares. My son, by accident, I like to say by accident, my dad had on CNN in a hotel room and I had to run down to the car to get something and came back up. And later that night, my son said something about Ukraine. Oh, like what's happening in Ukraine? Mm. And I was like, how do you know about that? It was kind of fairly early on. We've talked about it since then, but fairly early on. I didn't really know what was going on. And that was the beginning of the conflict. And he said, oh, I saw it in in Papa's room. (laughs) Whoops. On the TV, I was like, oh. And he has brought it up. The things that he remembers about it, even like we've talked about what's going on in Ukraine, you know, age appropriate. We don't get into it, but he knows what's happening. He knows about Putin, the bad, he calls Putin the bad king. I'm like, he wishes he was king. But yes, that's exactly right. It's, you know, he's a person who wants more control or whatever, however I put it. And he says, but what about all the people in the streets? What about the people who, with the cars? And I'm like, oh, because that was the image. Of course. So once you track that trigger, you can start thinking about minimizing those scary stories, obviously, especially right before bed, minimizing scary TV and maybe even certain cartoons. And you might get a clue of this because the monster your child draws might look like a children's show character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some people are scared of Barney. Yeah, me. Fair. Big old eggplant. I kind of like Barney, but I get it. Now, here's number five. Here's some don'ts, right? So number one, don't use your child's nighttime fears as punishment. Such as, oh, the monster, you know, you've been talking about the boogeyman will we'll get you tonight if you scream at mommy. Never use the child's nighttime fears against them. Don't ignore, devalue, or try to extinguish their fear with phrases like, big boys don't get scared, or don't be a baby. Insensitive put-downs like this will only teach your kid that something is wrong with them. Not only will he be afraid of monsters in their bedroom, they'll be afraid to tell you other things he's scared of. That's, again, we're laying the groundwork for an open relationship with your kid and the things they're scared of. What if you say things like, don't you think moms need sleep too? <laughs> That's not on the list, but maybe it should be. Yep. I tried. Uh, I tried. Yeah. Here's another don't. Hey, this just in, listeners. Molly Lloyd has done this in the last month. They say, don't chase the monster away. They say, an often advised fear buster is for parent and child to walk into the bedroom together, look under the bed, look in the closet, or chase the monster out of the bedroom. They say, not only is this dishonest, it reinforces to your child, there might be a monster in their bedroom. He could come back. This may not work. (laughs) He just has happened to leave for now. Like, oh, crap. Now it's saying, oh, maybe there is a monster. And that might make matters worse. Oh, God. Or the monster spray. I remember, like... When I was like in my 20s and had nothing going on in my life. (laughs) Don't tell my 20 year old self that. And my friends were starting to have kids. I remember one of my friends made like a a monster spray and it had like glitter. It was like an empty Windex bottle. She put like glitter and stuff in it. And I was like, so cute. So cute. And then I'm thinking, first of all, I was like, she's going to get glitter everywhere. Oh, glitter is so hard to clean up. Why? Oh, glitter is going to be everywhere. And then I'm like, and then I was also thinking like, but this, if it was me, I would still think that like, I would need a good spritz every night for a long time to ensure that this monster ain't coming back here. 
Okay. Yeah, because if there was no such thing as monsters, why would we need monsters? Why would we need monsters? Yes. So tell the truth. Make sure the kid knows monsters are only pretend characters on TV or in storybooks. It's a parent's job to help the child separate real from imaginary characters. Oh, it's so hard, though. Monsters are taxes. That's what they are. Monsters are real jobs. That's a monster, okay? Monsters are being woken up at 2.46 a.m. That's a monster. We'll be right back. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So one other way to help your kid through these this time of, of being scared of the dark. And, you know, hopefully it won't extend further than just, you know, their childhood. But try to make nighttime a less scary environment. Now, this is an interesting suggestion. I read this and I immediately thought to myself, that's going to be a hard no from Blair. <laughs> it says, ask them if they'd like to sleep in a special bed, which is their mattress at the foot of your bed. No, get out for a week. No, thank you. Get out. No, uh-uh, no. I had you in here on my breast for a good six to eight months with your little mattress next to me. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) They say if the kid gets excited about that idea, and what kid wouldn't, frankly? Frankly. Take it as a clue that he might need an injection of nighttime parenting, but be sure to set the rules. For example, you might say if you wake up, you have to stay in your special bed and not wake up mommy and daddy because we need our sleep at night too. Otherwise, we'll be a cranky mommy and daddy, and that's no fun. (laughs) I actually kind of like that. It's like, okay, your kid might be pretty scared. If you can do it, have them sleep in your room, but but yeah, make sure they lay down the groundwork, none of which I think – I mean, it's like me telling my dog to stay in his dog bed and not get up in the bed. Why on earth would he stay in the dog bed? They're not going to do it. And my three-year-old especially, no way. She'd be like (laughs) – She's like, that's hilarious. We are having a party. And it's going to be me and both of (laughs) y'all. Three people. So get ready. Three people on the invite list. (laughs) Location, your bed. Your bed. Time, all the time. (laughs) A week. Y'all crazy. A week. (laughs) I know. Well, that might work for other people. I know. I immediately read that and was like, nope. I know she's not going to do that. I think at this point, I don't think I would with my son either. He's six. His room is, you know, right down the hall. I think I'm comfortable keeping him in there. But I do like the idea of this in my tool belt if I need to. You know, the one thing that I did do for my daughter, which worked for 2.5 days, was I got her 
like you know those strip lights, those like sticky strip lights you could put like under a bed. They have so my kids sleep in a bunk bed thingy, madoodle. I got a IKEA. So I tape these lights, these strip lights, underneath. So it's like her ceiling. Oh yeah, and it comes with a remote where she can change the colors and change like you know the gradient and whatnot. And she loves it, and it was great. It worked for a little bit, and she's. I mean, she still loves it. She's still getting out of bed, but I found that like. That's a fun thing because then she's and getting the remote was a good thing because and she's in control of it, too. So like in the middle of the night, I've seen her in the camera, like wake up and she'll like turn up the lights. She'll turn it to a different color. So I'm like, okay, this gives her a little bit of control of the nighttime darkness. Sitch. Now just stay there. And control in general, like we just talked about, like so much of this is about loss of control in the dark, especially because your other senses are so heightened. So I love that idea, Blair. You nailed it. <sighs> so another way to replace scary thoughts or, you know, to take away some of those question marks in the dark is how make sure you have fun bedtime stories, especially choosing bedtime stories that make overcoming a fear of the dark part of the story, a collaborative process. There's a Philadelphia-based psychologist and author of Freeing Your Child from Anxiety. Her name's Tamar Chansky. And she's the one who says, choosing those kind of specific stories. They note that one study showed children who were repeatedly told the same story about a boy who overcame his fear of the dark reported a decrease in similar fears and did not need as much middle-of-the-night parental intervention. Well, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) They, of course, don't say what that story was, but I imagine there's a million of them uh, on your local bookseller's uh, website. But yeah, I thought that was such a great idea. And it's so true. And then another one, read that book that makes them know that they're not alone, that talks about another person who overcame their fear of the dark. Then, as is really starting to work for my six-year-old, let me tell you something. This kid never took a pacifier. He just never took it. He was like, no, hard pass. Never took a bottle for the most part here and there would. Was really someone who has never needed that stuff. Like stuffies were sort of like, meh, In the last year, from like age five to now he's age six, suddenly like stuffies, Stuffed dolls are very important to him. So he'll be like, Mama, give me Monkey. Monkey and I keep each other company. Put ZB on the other side. Put Maxie Berkeley, which is the name of this stuffed golden retriever that he has. Put Maxie Berkeley here. They keep me safe. So this is kind of new. And I always thought that stuffies were more of like a little kid thing. P.S. They're not. They're for any kid. So any comfort item such as a blanket, special blanket or a special stuffed toy will really, could really help them just feel better. Because going to bed feels like a very scary loss. Loss of soothing, loss of protection, loss of safety. That loss can be alleviated with a comfort item. I know someone very close to me. I won't mention her name. But when I moved in with my fiancé, who is now your husband, my husband, he kicked my teddy bear out of bed. How now? Brown cow. Got das boot. Teddy got das boot. So those comfort items, they last a long time. Somebody, it's so funny that you say that. I just saw a headline of an article come up and I didn't click on it, but maybe I'll go back and find it where it said, I'm an adult who sleeps with their stuffed bear and I'm not alone. That kind of thing. And I think you're right. Going to bed is kind of scary. And it wasn't even like a, I just got so used to it. I mean, he was like with me through my childhood and through high school. And then I took him to college with me. What'd you do with him? What'd you do with the bear? He sleeps with my kids now. Okay. That's cute. It's really quite special. And it's from the 1940s. I hope it doesn't have like gangrene or typhoid or something on it. <laughs> it's got the Spanish flu on it. But oh, man. Other than that, they love them just as much as I do. I 
<laughs> and then this is sort of, again, I feel like there are certain themes that come up in many of our episodes, and one of them is consistent bedtime routine. Yeah. <laughs> that can also really help them. Consistency, consistency, consistency. So they have like, they have their same stuffed animal. They go to bed at the same time, all that other stuff. They know when their teeth are going to get brushed. All that stuff gives them reassurance and kind of control, right? They know what comes next. Maybe that could help them sleep through. The other thing, I really love this, and I think I need to do more of this. This is sort of the last thing that we're going to talk about as far as how we can help our kids, is rethink how being in the dark is framed. So for instance, make the dark fun. So after lights out, that's when they get silly stories. That's when you sing a song together. And they said, play with glow lights, which really, Blair, is what you're talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shut the lights off and find some way to have it be fun and, if you will, illuminating. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Get it? Uh, yeah, play with, gl- maybe you have glow light party, what, you know, on Mondays or whatever. Like, have it be so that when the lights go out, that isn't when the time everybody says goodbye and then they're alone and scared. Maybe being in the dark can be reframed by both of you. I mean, listen, how many things can we just reframe, period, that <laughs> would make life a little easier? Yeah, I forgot to mention this too. Along with the lights underneath her bed, something that we did, this was a while ago, just, and we got this just because it's cool, but uh, it's a star, like cloud, like projection thing. It's very low light, and you just click it on, and the stars and clouds move through the ceiling. And on the walls. And it's yes. And the, you see the moon come up and then it goes away and then it comes back again. We have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. And the kids love it. It's almost like, you know, they need it at night now. Yeah. So, I mean, that's also something, but reframing it. And that was also part of like reframing it. Like here, you know, the stars in the moon, you can watch, you can look, look. And they every now and then they have like shooting stars come through. So, look at that one. So, if the oh, that's cute. You got a fancy one. <laughs> Mine is just like a cardboard cutout and a candle. I'm like, Ugh, good luck, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, that's nice. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, reframing it. Gosh, I could use a lot of new frames in my life. <laughs> <laughs> also, another way, just to add on to that, of after dark making things a little less scary is if you have an extra speaker. And you can play something for them after dark that makes it special, but also helps them to fall asleep. We found this really fun one. Uh, it's called Bedtime Story, like Superhero Bedtime Stories. Yes. He has a really low voice. And it's all about visualizing like you're Spider-Man and you're flying through the streets. And I'm listening to it and I'm like, night, Captain EJ. And there's all different ones. Transformers. I'm looking at it right now. Transformers. Batman versus Captain EJ. Iron Man. It's so fun and nice and chill. And so they get a story, but you get to leave because it's 8.39 and they were supposed to go to bed at 8. Like, here, why don't we put Captain EJ on? And it's superhero, so it'll be something nice for them. And it helps. And his voice is very soothing. Something like that. Whatever your nighttime meditation might be. Something after dark that's special for them to feel safe and feel connected. And it's like, it's also, I like those stories. I like listening to like, a, on the Calm app now has kids stories. I like the idea of using like positive imagination, right? As opposed to like, you know, nighttime stories. You know, nighttime stories can be like a little like scary or, you know, whatever. But I like the idea of using like hearing a calm voice. That's not mine because mom is tired. A calm voice and then engaging in 
imagination to put them to sleep. Therefore, they're using like a positive working part of their brain kind of thing so that if they do wake up in the middle of the night, maybe it's not going to be scary. Maybe it's reframed, reworked because of what they've just heard. Yes, totally. Like the more comfortable and calm and comforted and not alone they feel when they fall asleep could absolutely help them get through those times during the night when they're having those nightmares and that kind of thing or before they fall asleep being less afraid of the dark. Oh, it's hard. And, uh, you know, and the last thing we'll say, and I know we mentioned this earlier, but I think it bears repeating, never parents, caregivers, grandparents, never be ashamed or afraid to reach out for help if you also are somebody who's afraid of the dark. Because we get it. Oh, my gosh. We are so with you. We're so with you. And so seek out some professional help to help you so that you can then help the kid that you're caring for and the kid that you care for. Poor thing. Yeah, and you'll get through this. You'll get through this together. So now we have some tools, which is You'll be sleepy, but you'll get <laughs> You're going to be so sleepy. So but yeah, so we're not playing into our kids' fears. We're also not dismissing them. And then when everybody's awake, we can acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. We could even have them maybe draw a picture of them or talk about it. We're trying to find where this fear might be coming from. Is it a general anxiety, lack of control, all that stuff? Could it possibly be triggered by a character on a TV show that isn't even a scary TV show? We have a very low fright factor in our house. So my son has to close his eyes and cover his ears at a bunch of different times at different things. And absolutely, like most people, I turn on what I consider a safe TV show and I go in the kitchen to make a snack, to do whatever I'm doing, finishing up work when he gets home from school. Maybe something has come up that has lodged itself in his brain that is coming up as scary and we can explore that together. So we're empathizing and we're connecting rather than dismissing or playing into their fears. There's so much that they're exposed to the older that they get that they don't understand. And they're just left to their little imaginations to figure out. And I can't imagine being in a dark room. What I mean, just all the things, right? Like I just think of like my own anxieties and my own things and sitting in a dark room and what that does, but just like their little brains and what, I don't know. I'll be better about it. I know. Me too. I remember one time, I can't remember if I ever told you this, Blair, but my son comes up with excuses for me not to leave. He's just trying to make bedtime be longer, you know, whatever. And then one time he come up with anything. I need all the stuff. I need water. I need this. And so I try to do the thing from our sleep episode where we don't do the thing where the light turns yellow, which means they have one minute left and then it's lights out. But we do kind of a version of that. I'm like, okay. I shut all the lights down and we're chatting and we're, or we're telling imagination story or I'm singing the goodbye, goodnight song or whatever. And I say, okay, last request. What's your last request? You know? And uh, he'll say he wants water or he wants me to rub his back or whatever. And that's it. He's like, no scrubs, TLC. <laughs> <laughs> and one time it was, oh, mama, don't eave, don't eave. And I'm like, no, it's, you know, we already did last, we did our last request. I'm going to get going now. Love you so much, sweet James. He said, no, I'm scared. I'm scared. What if there's a monster? And sometimes his voice feels put on, like it's uh, he's making it up and it kind of sounded that way. And I was like, oh, honey, you know, there's no such thing as monsters. So I brushed it off. Essentially, I dismissed it. I dismissed his fear so I could get out of there, frankly. And then when I went in to check on him, for some reason, I went in to check on him. I can't remember why or to get something out. I forgot this floss in there. Who knows? So I go in there and he's lying in bed and he's taken his sheet and he's put it over his head and tucked it in all around his head. So it was like taut over his head and face. And so he didn't have to see the monsters and he was asleep. 
And I was like, oh, I dismissed him. I messed up. I messed up big time. So ever since then, I've been really hard, trying really hard to not dismiss, even though it feels like it's just another excuse to stay up later, just like connecting with him about it and whatever. I'm not trying to give it too, too much weight either, because then he'll be like, ooh, this is a tactic that worked, right? But I try very hard not to be dismissive. I'm going to use some of these other tools in the future as well. Yeah, for sure. Oh, buddies. I am too. I'm just going to be really cranky in the mornings. And throughout my day, I'm just going to be cranky, but I'm trying not to be cranky when the kid wakes me up in the middle of the night. Okay, all right, all right, all right, fine, okay. You only have six to nine more years of this because it should fade out by the time they're 12. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here. We hope you picked up some good tips as well. And uh, we'll see you next time on Toddler Purgatory. Take it easy. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.